Tom, here's what you're going to do. First, your defense is going to get a sack on Matt Ryan. Then, you're going to pass it to Edelman. He's going to jump up in the air through two Falcons defenders, and he's going to come down with the ball anyway. Then it's going to overtime. You're going to call heads on the toss. You're going to pass it to James White. And he's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Brady has his fifth! What a comeback! So that's why you wanted to talk about 80 for Brady first? Yeah. So this didn't, we just didn't go from that to knock at the cabin? Yeah. Okay. So I had no, re- I had no idea. He just said he was going to have an opening bit. I had no idea what it was going to be, but. I've decided to my- make Mike Ehrmantraut a recurring character on this show. <laughs> He's going to show up in most episodes from now on. Okay. I was thinking about Better Call Saul earlier today and the, the way that they evolve Mike throughout that show is like if you actually go back and watch Breaking Bad Mike is really not that sympathetic of a character like he's kind of like interesting well, he, has his, he has his uh granddaughter in yeah the, but like in Breaking Bad too from the moment he shows up he's a pretty evil yeah dude. cold-blooded yeah and I feel like a lot of the Mike love in retrospect comes from people just watching Better Call Saul and being like oh I love yeah, Mike Ziegler. dude Mike is the man and then it's like uh, in Breaking Bad, he's kind of just an asshole. But no, yeah, in in Saul season one, he's really it's like him and Saul are really like the two main characters. Because there's like a couple. I think there's at least one episode where there's no Saul. It's just or no Jimmy. It's just just Mike. Where the or it's the flashback episode five zero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they basically are still the two main characters throughout the whole show. I yeah. mean, I guess Kim kind of becomes the third lead. But... Yeah, and then season four, Ver- the Werner Ziegler. There's also a lot of. Uh, <laughs> are focus you trying on to th- that arc? You trying to throw Werner Ziegler in as a main character? No, no, I'm saying that whole arc uh, where Mike Aaron Trout is dealing with the the building of the lab. Yeah, yeah, no, that kind of takes over his side of the show, and then <clears> they throw <throat> Gus in there and everything. But anyways, we're not here to talk about Better Call Saul. Um, although we could probably just talk <laughs> about Better Call Saul every single week and talk for an hour. Um, we're here to talk about two new films that have released. Welcome to the Squawk. I'm your host Noah, and joining me today, as always, is Max White. What's I don't know if you were gonna say my name or if okay. no. You, you introduce yourself. All oh, right, yeah, I'm Max. What do you do, Max? Come on, now, now I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, well, last night I had to live tweet the student government executive debate, which was a lot more stressful than I thought it would be. My uh, thumbs were hurting after it. My uh, neck was hurting for craning looking at my phone. My screen time went way up. So I don't know if I would recommend live tweeting. Spending so much time doing something so useless. <laughs> covering student government. No, the, the the student government, the pesky student government, we, uh, <laughs> so it's it's election season here. They had, uh, as we're, as I'm walking to the library to where we record the podcast, they have like tabling going on outside, like the student union, and they're offering so much free food, so much free candy, I can't take any of it. Because of pesky, you know, ethical, whatever. I say you just screw your ethics and take candy anyway. (laughs) Because, like, who is really going to check? And be like, they they weren't bribing me. They didn't give it to me. I took it. (laughs) Can you get away with a technicality like that? I don't don't know how Garnet Media Group would feel about that. Okay. Well, this is a Garnet Media Group podcast. (laughs) So I probably shouldn't encourage you to, you know, pull unethical journalistic You're only a podcaster. I, I don't think you have to worry about that 
I don't know. Technically, we did win an award for best journalism yeah. podcast. Yeah, I don't, you don't. You don't have to be objective, though. That's I true. have to be objective. I I am purely subjective in all <laughs> facets of life. Life. That is my motto. Um, nothing matters, and nothing is truth. It is all just interpretation. In that sense, eighty for Brady. There are some empirical things like the rings. Yeah, I mean. To be fair, 80 for Brady is based on a true story. So when I say there is no truth in the universe, I, of course, am making an exception for 80 for Brady because <laughs> um, a talking uh, Tom Brady bobblehead definitely did come to life um, in Massachusetts in the year 2017 I at feel some like, point. I feel like we have to explain this because I don't think many people saw this movie. Yeah, so, I mean, we're kind of reviewing this as a joke because it gives us an excuse to talk about sports on the podcast. Um, but... I actually did not hate it. You, no, you, yeah, I, I gave it three stars. You gave it three stars. I gave it two and a half. Um, I I had a good time at the movies. There were old people there wearing Patriots jerseys. You probably should have wore a Patriots jersey. There were young people there wearing Patriots jerseys. Okay. Yeah. Probably more old people, though. I, sh- I Honestly, I should have worn my Brady jersey. <laughs> that would have been a flex. Or not a flex. That just would have been... It would have fit the mood. But... Even though this movie, like, took me down memory lane with the Patriots, like, it weirdly... Yeah, it's like NFL films (laughs) for at least, like, 25 minutes. It weirdly lowered my opinion of Tom Brady, just, like, (laughs) in general. Because he's a sellout? No, not because he's a sellout. Just having to see him, like, act was kind of... He was Tom Brady. He was fine. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It's like a commercial. Like, he's doing the same thing as, like, selling, like, some razor that he would be in, like, congratulating an 80-year-old for coming to the game. It just feels different when it's, like, in an ad versus in a movie theater. You know what I mean? You just, like, I almost got, like, (laughs) this is going to sound so dumb, but I've been watching stupid Tom Brady for 20 years of my life that he almost kind of feels like a family member, you know? (laughs) Where it's, like, and you watch Tom Brady on the screen, like, do, like, a somewhat okay job at acting, and you're like, oh, no, my man. Like, it's, like, secondhand embarrassment. Like, you feel somehow totally wrapped. Like, I can't just laugh at it. Like, I have to, like... No, you gotta... You just gotta lean into it. For some reason, I feel like I have to, like, defend the guy, even though he's not even on my team anymore. I wonder if that's what, like, fans of, like, Dwayne Johnson feel in, like, every single movie or something. But I guess... Oh, yeah, because he was a wrestler. Yeah. Although, was any... Nobody was as invested in Dwayne Johnson as a wrestler as people are in Tom Brady as sure. the Patriots quarterback. I have a feeling. But maybe I'm wrong. If there's a big <laughs> Dwayne Johnson fan out there who's just ride or die the rock every day of their life, then hit us up. Hey, as, as an aside, g- when we talk about Knock at the Cabin, Cap, uh, who I saw, one of my friends who I saw the movie with, he was all he was talking about Batista's wrestling career, like the entire movie. Dude, so. Batista's acting career has surpassed his wrestling no, career. No, did you see his quote sure. where he's like, I don't want to be Dwayne Johnson, I want to be an actor or yeah. something? Yeah, King. We, su- <laughs> we stand the legend. Um, actually, I thought the best non-actor performance in the movie was uh, Loki, uh, Gronk, and Danny Amendola. Sure. And the other Patriots were kind of better than Brady at acting. I don't know. I I wasn't thinking analytic or qualitatively in that sense. I was just like, oh, it's Tom Brady. Oh, it's Gronk. So. Yeah. I mean, also Guy Fieri was kind of funny. Yeah, he was good. Surprisingly. He- is he an actor though? He does a lot of like reality TV. So I feel yeah, like he he's, would. He's basically an actor. 
I guess. Um, and he even pulled off a being John Malkovich sequence, which was interesting. When oh, yeah. She walks into the poker game. and um, That was very bizarre. So I feel like we're kind of missing some setup here since most okay, people so, didn't see this movie. Uh, I feel like I, I, as the objective one. You want to set it up? Sure. You want to explain what the film is? All right. So uh, 2015 or no, 2016, 2016 season. 27 was the year sure yeah nfl season patriots these uh four patriots fans some in their 70s some in their 80s they all want to go to the super bowl they uh as they have been um are you just reading off wikipedia no i'm not (laughs) uh as they've uh centered around the patriots as their sort of go-to every sunday uh it's their thing that they uh gather enjoyment out of just as much as uh tom brady's good looks that has drawn them to the sport they're all getting older, and they realize, hey, we should go to the Super Bowl as one last two raw. So uh, they enter a contest to win tickets, and uh, from there, go to the game, and uh, struggles ensue. And, uh, yeah. Because, as it turns out, spoiler alert, If we're going to spoil this movie. So <laughs> uh, if by some odd chance you care about 80 for Brady spoilers, uh, skip ahead like 20 minutes and you'll probably be good. We'll be talking about knock at the cabin by then, um, <laughs> which is probably a more spoiler warning type movie. And we're going to spoil knock at the cabin. So if you don't want either spoiled, just turn off the episode and go watch the <laughs> movies. I probably shouldn't say that, but cinema comes first. Um, so yeah, that's the plot. Uh, but the problem is when they get to the game, they find, they lose the tickets and then they find out their tickets were fake. Well, uh, and also, yeah, they, they never won the contest. The right. oldest one bought them because... Uh, Rita the, Moreno. Yeah, because the, the people who did win the contest were all named Tom Brady. And they're not even into into Tom Brady. They're just like, oh, we're, Tom, oh, we're all named Tom Brady. Yeah, it's like a group of losers who have to live in the shadow of the fact <laughs> that their names are Tom Brady and they'll never live up to that name because everybody will always compare them to the actual or like the famous Tom Brady. I'd say the actual. See, I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, so you're not the actual Tom Brady. Like that That must hurt. I'm glad I have a somewhat unique name. Or at yeah. least there's no celebrity that has my name yet. <laughs> um, so I feel bad for those guys, but I'm just going to refer to the actresses by their name. I do not remember the names of their characters sure. in the film. But it's Rita Moreno, uh, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin. Um, and no, Lily Tomlin is the one that buys the tickets. Okay. Reed Moreno is the older one that is in the nursing home that like gets really high. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. This is a, I don't know. People always complain about the lack of studio comedies. I feel like this is really up there and, uh, just, this is something you'd probably see on cable like 10 years ago and it's just going to be, I don't know. It's like a fun movie where you just, it's like stupid and. It's a vibe-out programmer, a middle-budget vibe-out programmer. Yeah. It's kind of the, the type of thing that we're always complaining doesn't get made anymore, so I'm happy it exists and that it's making money because, like, even though this, you know, wasn't a masterpiece by any means, like, uh, for what it is, I, I more, really liked it. We need more 7 out of 10 comedies yeah. like, coming out because, like, I, nothing is better than just, like, going to the theater on, like, a Sunday afternoon and seeing, like, a Gentleman 7 movie, you know? <laughs> A gentleman's 7 out of 10, because um, those are the best. And this was a gentleman's 5 out of 10, or like an elderly grandma's 5 out of 10. But that's okay, too, you know? There's there's space for it. I don't know. I feel like I had more fun than you did. There's, like, scenes where they go to, like, this party, and then they all get high, and then there's a high-stakes poker game. There's some romance there. 
Yeah, there is romance. Some elderly uh, romance. <laughs> Jane Fonda starts almost hooking up with like an ex-football player, right? Yeah. I look so while we were watching the movie, I usually try to stay off my phone, but I looked up that guy and he was I realized he was an actor. Okay. Cuz like I do not recall this guy ever like being mentioned in any breath as an NFL player. Cuz yeah, and the movie's so just even NFL. the name was fake. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I Loki. He did have the vibe of a former NFL player. Yeah, though, I mean, so he, he's pretty bulky. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's the best performance in the movie because <laughs> <laughs> he sold that. Uh, there's just a lot of like, I mean, it's just hard for me to rate it higher because like, it, I wasn't exactly laughing my pants off the whole time. There were some funny jokes. Yeah, you're you're laughing at it more than with it probably. Yeah, which is why even though but I, I enjoyed like it, it somewhat ironically, it also was self-aware. I don't know. I feel like no, definitely. Th- there's no way they did the the Tom Brady like monologues looking into the the camera self seriously. No, obviously. Uh, there's <laughs> an incredible sequence where Lily Tomlin is basically praying to Tom Brady to help find a way to get the tickets. And it starts, the camera just like dollies in on a Tom Brady bobblehead. And then the Brady bobblehead comes to life and whispers, let's go. <laughs> and then, yeah, I remember and I, then looked it just over, cuts. I looked over at you and you were like in some kind of nightmare. Like you're like, l- like laying down in your seat. You were like shrinking away from the screen. <laughs> you were like, what the fuck? Yeah, it kind of freaks <clears> me <throat> out. Um, and... Then it just goes and cuts straight from that to Lily Tomlin being like, I got the tickets, I got the tickets. It was just no explanation of what happened. Uh, later you find out what happens because they, yeah. they had to keep that a secret for the dramatic reveal later on that they didn't actually win the contest. Um, yeah, no, I thought she, they kept on, like, teasing that she was going to die and then she just didn't, so. Yeah. Because they do a flash forward at the very end. Oh, oh, don't even, the ending is the most offensive part of the movie. What? Uh, the ending is the worst. The ending, honestly, the ending is the reason it wasn't a three out of. Ten. Why is that? Because they're all they're Brady fans. They're not Pat fans. Because they're wearing sh- those jerseys that are half Patriots, half Buccaneers. Yeah, because they they and they join. They started watching football because of how handsome Brady is, not because they like football. But they've been watching the Patriots for fifteen years. Come on. I don't know. Watching... There, there's definitely a lot of people who did that in real life too. So. Yeah, and you know what? They can all go to hell. <laughs> Fake fans, terrible. But yeah, at the at the very I end, I rooted for Brady when I was on the when he was on the Bucks. I was like, if the Patriots don't win, I hope the Bucks win. But you know what? I didn't fucking buy a half Patriots, half Buccaneers jersey and wear that shit. Hell no. <laughs> Still a Patriots fan. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I that's guess, what that's what you should do. But these are elderly people. They just like handsome guys. They should have had a, a fifth uh, woman as part of the the group who just wore Ben Roethlisberger jersey. She's in it for Big Ben. So I like his I don't, his I, big meaty head. That w- that would be too that would be too much suspension of disbelief. I don't think anybody anybody's <laughs> yeah. going after that. Plus, you know, like all the terrible stuff he did. Yeah, sure. But then again, girls still wear Kobe jerseys, so you know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so I was ac- so I have some unfortunate news. So uh, we had kind of had a side bet going in watching the movie. About, like, how many Patriots players were actually going to be in it. Because I remember Amendola's in it, and you were like, is that actually Amendola? And it actually was. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm looking at the cast right now, and they have some random guy who looks like Matt, Matt Patricia playing Matt Patricia. So That's unfortunate. He actually, I, I didn't even notice him. Yeah. I mean, he does look like Matt Patricia. Maybe a bit slimmed down, but... 
Yeah, but like I didn't even see him in the movie. Like I didn't see anybody playing Matt Patricia. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I think don't remember Belichick when was him. in it, but that was all B-roll from NFL film. Yeah, I was. We also had a bet of how many times Belichick would show up. I think the over under was like one and a half or well, something. Well, no, no. You said over under was zero. I said it was point <laughs> five. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, zero point five. That's what I meant to say. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> I should have. I should have gotten that correct. <laughs> you were right. You were right. It's point five. Is the proper way to do it. Um, I don't remember what I said. You said under. I said under. Yeah. He actually showed up like four, four times. times. Yeah. Four times, but it was all B-roll. It would just be like, it was straight out of the NFL films. Like yeah, you could, yeah. Literally, just go on YouTube and watch that footage. Yeah, and I, as an aside, NFL, if you don't know, has like an, an NFL films like organization where it's just all like the recording and like they make every year after like a Super Bowl they make like a team movie of like their journey to the Super Bowl and things like that. I've been, as a, also, as an, I, I, I'm an Astros fan. I'm wearing my, my Houston t-shirt right now. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I've been, I've been waiting for them to add the 2022 World Series Champs movie so I can give that five stars. But uh, I don't think they've added it to Letterboxd yet. And I haven't gone to the movie database myself to add it, so. You should. Yeah. Do they, do they actually add the NFL film stuff and like, uh, yeah, I'm pre- films let me, let me, let me, you have to, you have to, Vamp for a, se- for a second. I have to vamp. Uh, How does 80 for Brady affect Tom Brady's legacy? Coming up next. No. Uh, no, they, they. I know they add the MLB ones. Let me look up like Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, 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 they do. Or they this do? is only. Um, they only have one for 2004 for some reason. Interesting. I was going to say, I'll go rate the Falcons one five stars right <laughs> now. Um this movie had to have bombed in Atlanta, right? <laughs> yeah, you made that joke during. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made the joke during the game, during the during the game, during, <laughs> the during, big game during the movie. But uh, yeah, that shit had to bomb in Atlanta. It would be literally torture for any Falcons fan to watch that movie. It's like an hour of build up to the worst, like moments of their entire lives, <laughs> um, which. You know, non-football fans may say that sounds ridiculous, but if you're invested, <laughs> that was definitely the worst hour of any Falcons fan's life. Um, it just... I, I came to the realization kind of over the weekend when the NBA trade deadline was happening, and then I got really mad at that dude in our intramural game uh, the other day because we played intramural basketball. Yeah, and our I, season has ended, unfortunately. Our season has ended, and I... Noah went, went out with flames. I went out with the technical. I told a kid to shut the fuck up pussy twice. <laughs> um, yeah, not not my, not my uh, proudest moment, but you know what? I'd do it again. Um, but I realized after these incidents of the trade deadline not going well with the Suns getting Durant and then our intramural basketball game that really, now that the Patriots and Red Sox aren't good, sports, like are just so bad for my mental health. They do nothing <laughs> but bring me misery. And I'm like, Wang, is it really worth watching these teams for like 20 years lose only to hope that one day they might win? Is it? That's the that's the sort of uh, existential dread. That's the, what is the, uh, I forget the, the Greek myth of the guy pushing up the boulder all the time and he's doing the same thing. That's watching sports. You just keep on waiting every single year until eventually something Something breaks your way. As a Patriots fan, you really didn't have to wait very long at all. No, I did not. I was really born at the perfect time. So you're you're really spoiled is what you're saying. I'm really spoiled. But, um, yeah, they just... Like, I feel like if I was able to compartmentalize it better or, like, not get mad at my sports team since I have literally no control over what happens, that uh, 
maybe it wouldn't be so bad for my mental health, but I can't. So, like, is it even really worth it is the question. Should I just quit while I'm ahead? You still got the Clippers. <clears throat> well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like you're the, saying you don't enjoy watching even the Clippers? Well, I do. when Russell I, Westbrook? I mean, I do when we win, but when we lose, I just want to, like, actually kill myself. So should I just, like, not watch at all so that, I mean, I won't experience that high, but also I won't experience the low either. The low can't be that bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. When we blew the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, my roommates, like, had to, like, <laughs> hold me back from smashing the television. <laughs> I was so mad. I threw the remote across the room. I broke the remote, so I had to buy a new remote. Nothing gets me mad like sports, man. I think it is the lack of control that makes me so upset. Yeah. You know? It's just like you just see the lead swift slipping away. And even though you know that if you got out there, you would do no better. But it's just like <laughs> no, no, as a, still the lack of control. Just I remember. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Rockets fan as well. And the Rockets famously blew a 3-2 lead. And Chris Ball got hurt um, at, or like after they were up. So then... They blew it without him, and he said the worst part was watching from the bench, knowing he couldn't do anything. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely. We have had two three-one leads blown in the last like ten years, and years where we had a good chance to win the whole thing. Well, there's so, one man you can blame for two of those. Doc Rivers, <laughs> baby. You can never kill the idea. Doc, Doc Rivers will always exist in an ephemeral form no, yeah, in now, my life. Now uh, I'm a sort of a bandwagon. I'm still a Rockets fan, but I can't really watch Rockets games. Not even because I get mad they lose, but just because of how unenjoyable it is. Oh, yeah. Well, they're tanking, so yeah. it's different. So uh, I've been watching the Sixers. It's the expectations that make it the worst. Sure. If the Clippers were expected to be, like, a bottom 10 team, well, then, like, the losses it, would not hurt. Imagine how it is to be a Cowboys fan every single year. Yeah, that's the worst. So, no, but yeah, watching the Sixers and Doc Rivers. I remember last year Embiid got hurt, and uh, they kept on putting in fucking, was it, uh, it wasn't Montrezl Harrell. It, or was it, I think it was Harrell. Yeah, Montrezl Yeah, it, it, they kept on putting in Harrell over Paul Reed, who, like, Reed is, like, a bench warmer. He's, like, an eighth man at best, but Harrell is just so bad in the playoffs where. And then Harden fucking shit the bed, too. It was, like, his moment, like, the co-star is out. He's got to step up. And he didn't. Anyways, that's see the Sixers. I like because I can watch them, but I'm also not like that upset if they lose. Yeah, I feel that. I don't really have a second like NBA team that I root for, um, just because I really liked the Mavs because of I liked Luca and I like <laughs> I like called my shot on him like before the <clears throat> draft. I was like, are you? Mother efforts are stupid. I would literally trade the entire Clippers like roster and all of our draft picks in per- per- perpetuity for Luca before the draft, and then he dropped to like three or basically five because the Hawks traded yeah. down to take Trey Young. So he basically dropped to like four or five, and I was like, "This is the most idiotic thing ever." This kid like has legitimate chance to be the goat, and now look, it's paid off. I was right. Even P- even after he got drafted, I was having arguments with friends. So they're like. Yeah, his rookie year, he's been great, but, like, he pretty much is what he is. He's not really going to get much better than this. I was like, Even if that were true, he'd still be, like, an all-star every year. Yeah, right. So, I don't know. I'm just thinking that that one of the great... That's why I root for the Mavs, but then they went and had to play us in the playoffs twice twice in a row. And we did beat them both times, but then they went out this year and got Kyrie. So now I can't root for them. Yeah, Luka's now getting the the Harden treatment in Houston, where people are are saying, uh, like, Luka's too good. And that you can't build a team around one guy who's just so good. 
I mean, which I think is BS, but that's yeah, that's not true. I mean, they were saying the same thing about LeBron when he was on the Cavs the first time. It was the same same deal, and it's just not true. It's just can you actually find the right people to put around him? And so far, the Mavs have not really done that. We'll see if it works with Kyrie. Uh, so far, they are one in three with Kyrie. Oh, and yeah, they they've had a, some oh bad and breaks. Two, oh and two with them together. Yeah, um, and their defense is like has the worst defensive rating over those four games in the league. So. You we'll know what, see. You know what does work? What? M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan does work. A lot of people Sometimes. Would, not, would not agree with that. We really just... In 2020, in the year, <laughs> in the year of our Lord and Savior 2023, when can he's just, making movies about cabins and, and knocking on them, he does work. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge that transition that you just <laughs> pulled off? That was the sweatiest segue of all time. And I'm not talking about the vehicle. That was some... Elite, elite transitioning. <laughs> um, and we didn't even really f- wrap up our discussion on 80 for Brady. You were just like, we're off the sports deep end. Fuck it. I'm jumping to Shyamalan. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Is there anything else you want to add about 80 for Brady? Honestly, not really, except that we had an okay time. And uh, Sally Field was the MVP of the movie. I yeah, thought. so she was we, they were eating hot dogs because it's like a sports movie. They're eating hot, hot dogs during it. I hadn't eaten yet. We went to Costco. Got a hot dog and a soda for a buck fifty. Oh yeah, that was a that was a highlight. Honestly, got great, a churro. Great day for us. We know? were we were thriving. Costco and eighty for Brady. That was a cute date. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> moving on to Shyamalan. Um, knock at the cabin. So uh, wait, so I want to ask you first. So I kind of I really didn't like because the initial trailers I liked because all it it just set it up as like a home invasion, like the strangers ask where it's just they're in this cabin and people are invading. And then as the trailers went on, it sort of started saying, okay, we're going to decide the fate of the world. Did you know that premise heading in, or did you just think it was like a home invasion movie? No, I knew the premise. Okay. I knew the, I haven't read the book it was based on, but I knew of it. Okay. Uh, like Cabin at the End of the World or something like that, I yeah. think it's called. Um, so I, I knew that there was going to be kind of a supernatural almost element to it. And also it. they do that within the first at least 10 minutes, maybe even five minutes where they reveal... Yeah, no, it's not it's not a twist at all. So that's why they put it in the trailer. Because yeah. like it literally just is the basic premise yeah. that they set I up. I still from the think start. I would have enjoyed it more if I didn't know the premise, but oh well. Yeah, I see that's one of the things. But go- you, you gotta sell your movie. Yeah. It's not like it's not like they're revealing a third act twist, which spoilers, the twist is there is no twist, kind of. Um, if that makes sense. And I think that's why a lot of people were initially disappointed with this movie. Like I saw it with uh our former host, Stephen Pastis. Uh, Max had COVID when we saw it. That's why I kind of yeah. were reviewing this late. That is unfortunate. Um, we kind of had to we kind of had to vamp with uh, our DC talk last week because I had to wait for Max <laughs> to see Knock at the Cabin. Um, but, yeah, I think that a lot of people were like, it's a Shyamalan movie. Like, it's about the fate of the world. Like, what's the big twist going to be? And there just kind of isn't one. So Stephen was like, eh, that was all right. I was kind of waiting for something more to happen. And Evan was like, I thought it was really cool, but, yeah, like, it didn't really Dude, go anywhere. Dude, I don't understand how you aren't on the edge of your seat for, like, the last, like, two acts of That's that whole movie. That's what I'm saying. It, I thought it was really tense. And I mean, really I kind well of, done. I kind of, uh, you can kind of gather what the ending is. Because when I was thinking, like, because let, let me see what the the uh, letterbox uh, score is. I'm pretty sure it's only, like, three three 3.2 stars or something. Yeah. So we both gave it four. I think it should be higher than that. Yeah, it's 3.1. This movie is basically, we said the premise, um, 
that it's like the end of the world. Yeah, so. there's a idyllic family in the uh, middle of nowhere cabin, and then all of a sudden these home invaders come and say, you have to make your sacrifice or else it's going to be the end of the world. Yeah, so it's these these two dads. It's a gay couple that has adopted a, is it Chinese? Chinese daughter? I'm not sure, but yeah, it's this, it's this beautiful little kid who everybody loves. Yeah. And the choice that they have to make is sacrifice someone mm-hmm. or the world. I, I love how they never once uh, flirt with the idea of sacrificing her. Oh, like, yeah. Well, e- of even course the, not. Even, course the, not. even the, the people who are invading the home are, like, putting on, like, cartoons for her. Yeah, I mean, Batista what... Batista is so great in this movie. What parent would even entertain yeah. the idea of sacrificing the well, child? I don't know. Just <laughs> go get another one. <laughs> It'd be a real asshole. <laughs> It'd be a pretty irredeemable character. They're like... What if we just killed a kid and live the rest of our lives <laughs> together? That would be a pretty dick move. Yeah. Um, they do not do that. Or do they? That would be an insane twist. Do you want to... So, you know the book is different than the movie, right? Yeah, so I know that it ends differently. I don't really know how, though. So what happens is, you know the scene where... So the, the two dads, there's Jonathan Groff plays Daddy Eric. And then um, Ben Aldrich plays... Daddy Andrew, Andrew yeah, yeah, which yeah. the the little girl calls them like Daddy. That's a that's name. a great setup at the beginning. Yeah, the girl says that, and then Batista's like at the door trying to break in. He's like, "Is this Daddy Eric or Daddy Andrew?" <laughs> yeah, does Batista call them that the whole movie? I think he does. Uh, I'm not sure for the whole movie, but definitely at the beginning. I don't know. I just <laughs> I cannot praise Batista enough. I love oh. his character so much. I'm so glad that. Hold up, can I just finish my thought about sure. the ending of the book? The ending of the book is that when he goes to get the gun. He's fighting, like, Dave Bautista's... Well, spoiler warning first. Spoiler, spoiler warnings for the book, and I guess for, for the movie from here on out. Um, he goes to get the gun. He's fighting Bautista's character. I don't know. I've, Leonard. So he's yeah. fighting Leonard, and the gun accidentally, like, misfires and kills the kid. And Damn. My, like, my jaw just dropped. I did not... They're like, okay, is the world saved? And it's not because it wasn't... A sacrifice. It was an accident. That's way too depressing. And so the world just ends. I, and I'm, they refuse I'm to glad they other. changed that. That is way too depressing of an end. Yeah. I feel like audiences would just leave the theater being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. No. They would it be would, mad. The the movie would make zero dollars. I, I remember <laughs> seeing some, one review where it's like Shyamalan didn't have the balls to go through with the original ending. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. No. That would. And he's so much more interested in kind of the. The tension of yeah, the, the choice. Yeah, psy- the psyche of it all. And the last, like, the reason I think the movie works is because it pays off all that buildup. And that, the book ending, while I see what it's going for and it's being much more cynical about, like, the world and, like, if that's the story you want to tell, fine. But the whole tension of the movie is the, the psyche of the choice. And the girl just accidentally dying does not really interrogate that or pay that off at all. Yeah, it's just, like, depressing. Yeah, it would just be shock value without actually yeah. um, working in the themes that. Yeah, had been so this is a, this is a really a nerdy a really nerdy moment. But um, so I'm in a fiction workshop class, and one thing my 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 professor keeps on talking about is like it's always inter- it's never interesting to take away agency from the characters, right. and that's why you, and the, he says like the only coincidence you should really have at the beginning of any story is the beginning where it's like there's some kind of like you know, motivating, motivating action or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes. So, so the coincidence here would be that for some reason they chose this cabin and yeah, having a gun uh, uh, like accidentally go off. That's just a random coincidence that has no bearing or really any, it's not at all indicative of any of the characters. It just sucks. Right. It does present them with an interesting 
like dilemma afterwards of like this didn't count as a sacrifice and like that is making an interesting artistic point but i think that works better for a novel than a movie sure you know like they're they're after different things like there's a different yeah. like a novel so much of it <clears throat> could be made up for in the writing whereas a movie like just has to feel like it's your suspension of disbelief is higher for a movie so it's more difficult to pull that off on screen yeah you know? um books you kind of just you you buy it because you're it's your imagination not your yeah literally what you're seeing i, th- I think one thing i think is really interesting is um uh, you've seen cabin in the woods right or you haven't uh, i have not oh okay well spoiler warning for that movie oh god don't spoil it for me well <laughs> are you oh my god you should have just seen that movie already but both of these movies have a very similar premise Okay. Um, uh, where uh, Cabin in the Woods plays into it where um, and this is revealed probably in the first 20 minutes okay so uh, Cabin in the Woods the premise is that it's a very like very intentionally generic cast of characters they're all you know teenagers college students you have the stoner the jock the nerd the virgin uh, the virgin being the the girl and uh, <laughs> and the whore um, and both of those are, are not anyways, that's just playing into the genre tropes. That's not like a, um, anyways. Yeah. You're so, canceled. You're so, canceled. so anyways, so they, they all go to this cabin to have fun. Um, and of course things go wrong as they do in like, say like evil dead, Friday the 13th, all of these generic slasher movies. Um, but they sort of flip the script where, uh, things are intentionally going wrong because there's like this, these overlords who are deciding, um, everything where it's like they all the the people in the cabin have to choose like they're, they at one point they go into a basement and uh, there's all these like very obviously like supernatural like don't fuck with that just like leave it alone objects like there's a like weird looking Rubik's cube thing there's like a, they have the Necronomicon from Evil Dead they have like this freaky looking like ballerina doll so like uh, and so they have to choose one of those themselves and then whichever one they choose uh the is like tied to whatever like kind of monster like monsters that try and kill them and so the whole thing is that this these like overlords who are like literally like behind a computer screen are like pressing buttons to like make sure they do that because if they don't then the world is going to end so like it's this is i don't know i think it the the similarities there are very interesting and like the Cabin in the Woods does it really well where they play into the tropes where at one point they're, like, acting smart. They're like, yeah, we have to stick together. And then, like, it cuts to the people behind the screens. It's like, oh, shit. Like, we have to, like, put in, like, stupid gas. And then they're like, wait a second. We should split up. And it's just, like, <laughs> playing on those tropes. Um, but these movies have very different endings. I, I actually don't think Knock at the Cabin is that interested in playing with horror tropes. Like, no, it's, no, it's I, not, I'm not saying it yeah. is at all. I'm just saying the basic premises of... You have to willingly sacrifice them. Or not this, uh, you have to sacrifice somebody and you can't have any kind of outside uh, intervention. I do want to give a little bit of credit for my next point to um, the the Blank Check podcast because I listened to their episode Knock at the Cabin this week. But um, just the, I think the most interesting thing to discuss is kind of how this, why Shyamalan was like drawn to this. Um, and it, it's clear based on, you know, what they talked about on that episode and just kind of my own reading of his filmography that like the, the religion aspect is really interesting um, because it is a like deeply, like I don't want to say that I have like a better perspective on this than some people, but like I've now been like 
close in quite a few religious communities, like sure. going to two different Catholic schools and then coming to the South and the first couple of years at college here, like a lot of my friends were very faith-based and I was always a little more skeptical of it, um, going all the way back to like middle school. And a lot of the questions that I asked about why you believe or why you have faith in this thing or why you think it's real are kind of a lot of the questions that the characters are asking in Knock at the Cabin. Where yeah, yeah, because the characters are very obviously not either agnostic or atheist. So they're not at all. Or no, actually, no, the, the one character, is it Eric? Is he the um, the one who Jonathan is? Jonathan Groff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jonathan Groff or the Eric character is more spiritual, but I think he's still alienated by it. Um, but in the end, that spirituality kind of wins over. Um, but yeah, Right, is, that's kind of how I feel. Like, I, I don't know if I'm even if I'd even call myself spiritual anymore. But like, yeah. I, I always thought like, there's just so many inconsistencies, so much that doesn't make sense to it. And like, Bautista, you just kind of have to buy in. Bautista's character is basically like, you just have to buy in. Like, yeah. You don't, you, you won't know it or ever believe it until you just like see it and feel it. Mm-hmm. And I just had so many people in my yeah, life that's what, that's telling what faith me, is, is you have to telling me that they, that they, they feel it and they see it in, in their head. And that's, how they know. And that just like doesn't make any sense to me. And this movie is really trying to understand why Yeah, that's a really interesting read. People see that and why people feel that. So would you have to have millions of people die before you believed in a higher power? I mean okay, but so so going into spoilers for the movie, I don't know why. All those you'd be things happening at once, if somebody was telling me like this is a higher power and all those things happen in the same day, then yeah, I'd probably believe it. But <laughs> if there was just a tsunami or a pandemic you know, we just so you one. you would be I uh, would I would not be Ben Aldridge's character at the beginning where he's like oh they planned this they scripted this they timed it Ab- absolutely yeah okay. I mean eventually the you kind of have to just admit that it's real because of the overwhelming evidence yeah um, there's just no way that like if that happened in the real world that they could fake that yeah that's an, that's whatever, an interesting you know? inverse of the usual premise because there's evidence for a higher power. And this, and he's trying not to believe that, where a lot of the times it's the, the opposite. Yeah, so um, as an aside, so I want to ask, whose side were you on? Were you, like, picking sides? Like, oh, I would, at this point, I'd be, like, like fuck them. They're probably just, like, lunatics who are breaking into the home. No, I mean, I, I always, from the beginning, thought that whatever they were talking about was real. That's what I said, too. But I saw it with um, with uh, my girlfriend and then her roommate and her roommate's uh, boyfriend, and I, I leaned over to uh, to my girlfriend and then to uh, her roommate, like probably an hour into the movie, and I was like, "Who's side are you on?" And they're like, "I don't know." I was like, "What?" <laughs> like the whole time, I was like, "Decide," because I don't know. M- maybe it's just because I knew too much about Shaolin, where it's like, "There's no way this is just going to be a sham. These are just lunatics." I mean, I just didn't even really think it would even be a picking sides thing. You know, like that just didn't even really cross my mind. I didn't watch it and be like. Hmm, who do I believe well, here? Like, not I was even, just kind of not even that, just like putting yourself in the in like Eric or Andrew's character's shoes. The thing I was thinking about more the whole time was which one are they gonna who are they gonna which one of them is gonna be sacrificed. Mm. And then you know, towards the end of the movie I started to feel like it's definitely Groff. Um and I think a lot of that is done with the flashbacks, which by the way are incredible. Those yeah. those scenes are really well done. Um over... it, it gives you just enough information. Right, right. And you see that like they expertly highlight the difference between their personalities mm-hmm. and why one of them should live and why one of them should go and why it's so much easier for Groff to still find peace and he doesn't want 
Aldridge's character, or I'll just say their characters' names. Eric doesn't want Andrew to die yet because he hasn't found peace. And Eric's like, I have found peace. I am ready to go. And their backstories really emphasize that. Mm-hmm. Like, Eric had to break out of a um, a homophobic family. And, you know, he was able to find pretty quickly. Well, I don't know quickly. But he was able to find someone and a family to, like, accept him. And <clears throat> Andrew, on the other hand, like, his profession is, like, He's a he's a human rights lawyer. Like he's exposed to a lot of bad stuff. Even when he did come out, he the world met him with you know he's a very lot cynical. of ferocity because he was you know attacked at a bar, which we see in the flashbacks. Yeah, Ron Weasley goes wild <laughs> by Ron Weasley. Um, so he has more reason to be cynical, and you can see why Eric decides to be the one to be sacrificed at the end because he's like. Like, I feel like in some ways I've lived a complete life and you don't feel like yeah, you have with the, yours. So, in short, the cynics win. Right. If well, you, if you're hopeful. I don't I don't know. It, the, the movie is still cynical. Even yeah. though it, the book is more cynical, I still think the movie is cynical. No. Which is weird for Shyamalan because he is not a cynical filmmaker at all. Like, Signs, I guess the actually The Village is really cynical. That's kind of why The Village is my favorite. Because The Village... The Village is a perfect... You haven't seen it. The Village is a perfect pairing. I do know the the twist. Okay. Then I'm going to spoil the twist for The Village. The Village is a perfect pairing for Knock at the Cabin because The Village is all about faith and trying to understand, like, why um, the world is kind of like... I wrote wrote a letterbox review for it. I'm just going to... I'm just going to read my letterbox review. I did kind of shorten it the other day because I reread it and I was like, that was cringe um, when I wrote it. But I said, in many ways, it can feel impossible to break free from our upbringing surroundings, what we were taught. Um, it's love that kind of like the message of that movie is that it's love that opens the mind that like gives you faith or whatever. And I kind of feel like Knock at the Cabin is getting that. Um, and then I also wrote about The Village. In addition to that overly sentimental reading, this is just an all-around scathing critique of everything puritanical about society and faith, namely uh, having that blind faith in ideals without fully considering its consequences. This film invites us to fail and be challenged by the world. Why should you be unprepared to face the world when your bubble inevitably bursts? And I feel like even though those themes are not exactly the same, knock at the cabin to the village, he's kind of expanding on that. He's like, the village is all about being skeptical of faith and the structures you're brought up in just because he was raised um, Hindu, I believe, but then went to Catholic school for most of his life or most of his childhood. Um, so he's constantly, I feel like from a young age, Shyamalan was comparing and contrasting and challenging these different faiths that he had. And the village is all about that. And Knock at the Cabin is really like taking it a step further where it's like, not just like, what is it about these faiths that contradict each other that's interesting? Not like just why should we challenge it? Like, why should we even believe it in the first place? You know? Um, so I think that, like, in many ways, it feels like his career has been building to this movie. And I think it really pays off a lot of what he's been after. Um, I still think, I still prefer The Village. It, I still think it's his masterpiece. But um, they are really, really closely related in an interesting way, in my opinion. Yeah, then, yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad that. Uh Shyamalan is still household. I don't not a household name, but I'm I'm just he, glad he's a household name. I'm I'm glad this. Well, I I know, but also I know that people. A lot of people probably didn't realize like his uh, cameo. Oh on yeah, the, on the TV, which I thought was hilarious. Evan and I were laughing so hard yeah. in the theater when that came up. We were just like, this guy. 
<laughs> yeah, but people, what a flex. most people probably do associate Sh- Shyamalan's like, oh, that's the like horror movie twist guy who also made that horrible Avatar movie. Yeah, uh, well, I feel like most people, when I say like a Shyamalan movie, they're like, oh, it's gonna be dog shit, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's made like three or four bad movies, and the rest are bangers. Like those s- movies are. Quite, even you gave them all like half stars, though. Yeah, I know, I know. It was a bad run, but he's got it back. He's got it back, in my opinion. Okay. So I'm not going to count Praying with Anger or Wide Awake. Those are like his two first like quasi student films, basically, um, that he made before Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense is actually like probably my least. Oh, favorite that's another Shyamalan movie I've of seen. Of the good Shyamalan. Because I watched that in the film class. I just completely forgot that movie existed. I just want to reiterate, since you kind of talked over me saying it, I don't want people to think. The Sixth Sense is my least favorite. It's my least favorite of the good Shyamalans. Below that, you have Happening, After Earth, Lady in the Water, Last Airbender. Those are, like, the turds that, like, I genuinely can't believe it's the same guy that made those movies. That being said, I will say The Happening is very watchable. It is not is good. That, is that Mark Wahlberg? Yes. It is and not it's like good. nature is trying to kill them? Yes. It is not good, but it is watchable. And, like, there are sequences in The Happening where I'm, like... If this movie is more consistent, it could actually be really great. It's just not consistent. After Earth, Lady in the Water, and Last Airbender are irredeemable half stars for me. Um, Lady in the Water, I guess maybe I could, you know, give him some points for trying to be interesting, but I just find that movie supremely annoying. And I like Paul Giamatti. He's great in Sideways, but he basically plays the same exact character in Lady in the Water, and it's terrible. Um, Sixth Sense, good movie. I, I liked it. I don't love it as much as some people. I liked it. I don't know. I mean, I knew the twist going into it. I feel like probably most people do in 2023, whether you've seen the movie or not. That was part of the problem for me. Is I Just because twist. it's the I see, I see dead people quote. Um, but I don't know. I liked that movie. I mean, I thought it was good. Um, I think it's a, a good exploration of family and, you know, everything and grief. But So you haven't seen the Unbreakable Split Glass trilogy? I've seen... Um, uh, probably like thirty minutes of split on TV. <laughs> Split's the worst of the three, in my opinion. So, oh, as an as an aside, I think it, I, I took an AP Psych class, and he didn't. And the teacher didn't do it in my class, but in other classes, he showed um, Split as like that's so bad, <laughs> which is very not the representative whole, of mental illness. The whole point of Split is that it's not a mental. He's illness, a super and villain, a super, right? And it's a super like power. Yeah, yeah. it's not like they totally skirt the whole point of that screenplay why it's written the way it is is that like he's skirting the whole like oh it's psychology oh this is offensive by being like the reveal at the end like spoilers is that he's a superhero basically yeah. like that's the whole point of the or movie. super villain right he's a bad guy super villain yeah, yeah. i mean well doesn't he like I, I just remember he kidnapped like three girls and like alan taylor joy yes movie, but right? like it's it's more it's complicated okay anyways but like he's like the like bruce willis in the <clears throat> Unbreakable Split Glass trilogy. It's like Bruce Willis is the good guy, Samuel L. Jackson's the bad guy. Uh, spoilers for Unbreakable. <laughs> James McAvoy is the middle ground. You know, like he's the one that like wants to be good but doesn't understand how because like his mental illness is not split personalities. His mental illness is like I don't know how to be a person. I don't know. It's I'd have to. You'd have to like sure. But anyways, the, my point is. Your AP psych teacher showing that in class. Big, no, it's big. It's, L. it's very funny. He yeah. also showed us. Uh, he had this downloaded as an MP4 in his desktop. He had a, a, an MP4 of JFK's assassination and just randomly showed it to us one day when he was like, "You guys haven't seen this? That's dope." And then just clicked on an MP4 file on his desktop. Dude, look. And it was like, "Oh yeah, there it goes." 
And then he's like, he like started imitating like Jackie <laughs> Kennedy, be like, oh no. <laughs> It was very bizarre. I don't know if I would do that, but <laughs> low-key, those types of teachers that are just like, yo, I found something sick I got to show you guys. That would be the type of teacher I would be. Like, I would just, like, pull up, like, I'd be like, yo, I saw this, like, really weird thing on YouTube the other day. Let's watch it. We watched a lot of brain games in that class, too. <laughs> like, I just want to, like, you know, more teachers just need to, like, intellectually stimulate their students in, like, out-of-the-box ways. Like, just, like... Sometimes it's good to spend, like, 15 minutes of class talking about something that everybody in the room has a take on or finds interesting than, like, just talking about the same boring shit again and yeah. having everybody just stare there blankly at you. Like, you know, you got to break the ice. Yeah. You have to get people excited to be in class a little bit, and then you can kind of move into the material. My best teachers were like that. Knock at the Cabin definitely got me excited. Well, sp- speaking of, Dave Bautista's character is a teacher. Yeah, yeah, he's a... Yeah, I think... And he kind of seems like that kind of teacher, low-key. Yeah, Although no. he's working with, like, like five-year-olds yeah so i guess not i thought it was really interesting though the the line where he's like one of the one of the most important things about being a teacher is that like little children believe everything you you say so you have to be like very careful about what you say yeah and how he translates that to their situation no i thought he's totally believable believable as a teacher like no yeah i think i saw people making fun of how tiny his glasses were (laughs) but he's got him in blade runner too he's got the tiny glasses no no I, i i loved him so much and i was very glad that because like a lot of times in these horror or thriller movies you always know they're all gonna die and i was very glad that uh his character survived the the longest he does die at the end but the three leads the last are to go. the easily the strongest part of the movie that and i mean i think every part of this movie is strong like Shyamalan absolutely shot the shit out of it mm-hmm. despite the fact that they switched cinematographers halfway through the uh, the one thing i i i didn't see this as a negative but at the very end the cg with the flames and then also the rain. I don't even think that they ha- like made the actors wet. They just like put it rain in post. I don't know. Yeah, that I was like this is rough, but I don't really care. Yeah, that didn't really bother me that much just because I was so wrapped up in the yeah. emotions of it. And I, I will was say like, Ooh. the the planes dropping out of the sky looked pretty good to me. Yeah, th- those were those were good. Um, yeah, I think that Batista really is the Batista Groff Aldrich is like the reason to watch mm-hmm. this movie. Their three performances and the way they like bounce off each other is so good. Um, and I do have to say, like, we made a joke earlier that Bautista is, like, the best wrestler turned actor, but he really is. I mean, between... No, yeah, he's an actor. He's not fucking John Cena. He's not Dwayne Johnson. He's, he's like, he actually can play a character besides himself. And he said he's done with Guardians after Guardians 3, so he's done with Marvel, and I'm curious to see what he does next, because... Is he going to go on, like, the weird indie movie-like circuit like Pattinson did? I mean, he kind of does that already. I mean, not to the same extent, but, like, he's definitely... I mean, he used to make, like, Redbox, straight-to-Redbox action movies. <laughs> I'd love to see him just, like, in a straight-up, like, good, like, $20 million budget action thriller. Okay. You know, like, not quite, like, Neeson-level, like, garbage, but, like, a little higher than that, you know? Like, gar- make put Bautista in a garbage crime movie. That's what I'm saying. Or like trash. Twenty one bridges. Trash special ops. Yes, give Bautista his twenty one bridges, please. That is what we need on this earth. Um, or just mix it up. I mean, he said he wants to be in rom coms. Okay. So that could be interesting. But like, who do you cast opposite Dave Bautista? Yeah, because he's so huge. Also. Yeah. So get, <laughs> I don't know. He would be dwarfing every female lead. lead. Yeah. yeah. You could play with that though. You yeah. Make make that funny. You can heighten that. Um, I don't know. It's so funny how how they like sort of play with how huge he is because he's like breaking through the door, and and he like gets shot and like doesn't really care. 
He's like legit like the Hulk to them. I want to sidebar on Groff really quick because I don't know if you, you haven't seen Mindhunter, have you? Uh, yeah. Oh, I just realized he's the lead of that TV show. Yeah, he is so good in Mindhunter. I can. I never put two and two together, but yeah, I've seen the first season. I watched it when it came out in like 2017 or something. He is really, really incredible in that show, <clears throat> and he's low key becoming one of my favorite like actors now. Uh, he's great in Hamilton. Uh. I've watched a little bit of like the live show on Disney Plus. So have not seen that like three and a half hour. Yeah, I let's just say I did not watch it under my own volition. Uh, I did not watch the whole thing. But You're skipping um, over his biggest role, Mindhunter. No, Groff in uh, Frozen. Oh well, I don't care about that. <laughs> you don't actually see him. Um, but yeah, he's he's got great reviews on Hamilton. Um, and now that he's in movies, he's fucking awesome. Uh, he, I thought. A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. I thought he was good in Matrix Resurrections. I haven't seen it. Um, he's obviously incredible in Mindhunter, and now he's great in Knock at the Cabin, and I hope he gets more like leading roles because there's, def- there's definitely a world where he's just kind of like character actor, Jonathan Groff, um, but I think he's he's a good leading man. And uh, obviously he's uh, gay in real life, so it's not too much of a stretch. So you but don't want to really... see him be like a B-list Justin Long type. You want him to really be the Yeah, yeah. Man. I think he deserves to star in movies um, like this. Um, yeah, you know, well, he's never going to be like the lead of an action movie, but that's not what he should be. No. Like, he should live in that mid-budget like adult zone, you know, movies made for adult zone that we always talk about. Um, and yeah, like it's not a stretch to say he's good as a gay dad in this movie because he's gay in real life, but... Um, I don't know, he pulls off the gay dad vibe well as someone with a gay dad. So, I I mean, come on. This movie hit all my fucking sectors. <laughs> like, it's a it's a thriller that has apocalyptic melancholy, which is a genre I am defining now. Um, I've made a letterbox list about this. But movies about the end of the world where people are sad about the end of the world, but they come to just kind of accept it. It's Did like you this, put Palm Springs in there? It's a weird – no, because that's a time loop movie. Okay. That's, that's different. Um, it like, kind of was the end of the world, but anyways, like Miracle Mile is like that. Um, there's, there, I put like ten movies on that list. AI is kind of like that. Um, so it's got that, which is a genre that I am coining that I love. It's got, uh, it's a movie about gay dads, which I have, so I've connected to that. And it's a movie about like, you know, everybody around you having this faith, and you just don't understand it, and questioning it, and challenging it, and trying to understand why people believe it which as somebody that has been part of like three different religious communities and not really liked any of them, I also related to. So this was like, this hit the ball out of the park for the, the Noah trainer, what I look for <laughs> in a movie bingo, because it feels like it was made for me. So I don't know. I gave it, I gave it a four out of five. I really loved it. Uh, I think you gave it the same score. Yeah. Too, four right? out of five. Yeah. And everybody I saw it loved it. So I really can't imagine leaving that movie and just people being like, it was all right. I don't know. I don't know how you're like all right about that movie. I kind of think that they should have... There's a couple, like, F-bombs, and that's why I got the R rating, because they actually don't show the violence. Um, I kind of think they should have just, like, cleaned up the language a little bit to get it to PG-13, and this would have done better at the box office. But still... So, I don't know. The gore, I don't know if that's PG-13. Not even gore, but just, like, the crunch. The and idea. What, I don't know if that's... <laughs> I'm not sure if that would fly PG-13. Yeah, but they just... They don't show any of it, which just makes me think it could have passed, but whatever. Um... Yeah, I have this number one in my 2023 rankings. You want to hear that real quick? Yeah, I only have five movies. I have so. seven. Okay. Knock at the Cabin 1. Okay. Magic Mike's Last Dance 2, which I saw last night, was good. Infinity Pool 3, 
plane four, Skinner rank five, Megan six, you, eighty for Brady seven. Me, bro, okay. I have knock at the cabin one, Skinner rank two, Megan three, Infinity Pool four, and then eighty for Brady five. Bro, you're sleeping on Megan. Uh, Megan was. I gave it three out of five. It's good. It's fine. It was a fun movie. I what, thought. Would you give it three and a half? Yeah. <laughs> what? Max White, King of the Three and a Half. I've only given two. Of th- I gave Megan and I gave Infinity Pool three and a half. Okay. So you gave Skin Rank four. Yeah. Damn, that's wild. Dude, it really worked for me. Somebody in the. I think it's on the Magic Mike for. Yeah. So the most popular review for Magic Mike's Last Dance is somebody saying, Christopher Nolan was walking into Regal as we were leaving, so I ran up to him and asked what he was saying. He laughed and said, skin my rink. <laughs> what? <laughs> I want to see Christopher Nolan at a Regal. Oh, man. Honestly, I, I want to be in the theater with Christopher Nolan watching skin my rink. That would be dope. What, what, what do you think he thought of it? Do you think he liked it? I'm sure he, he thought it was, uh, like, ingenuitive. Yeah. He probably respected it more than yeah. he liked it. But I think probably the reason that movie didn't work is because, or at least for you, is because you were in a, a packed theater. So I don't I know. I wasn't how in a packed theater. There were like two other people there. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you said it. Maybe maybe you're talking about a different movie then. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Um, I mean, my plane theater was packed. I got the yeah. last seat in the house for plane. I saw, <laughs> I saw a plane in a packed theater on a Saturday morning with a bunch of, like, redneck Southerners, and they all clapped when the 80 for Brady trailer played. And if that's not real America, I don't know what is. So speaking of packed theaters, but probably not real America, we're seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania tonight. We are, that's true. How are you anticipating that? Um, I think it'll be... My guess for my rating before I see it, is a three out of five. If I had to predict what my rating will be, it'll be a three okay, out of five. Okay, you were more bullish on it, at least when we were texting about it. But yeah, I probably will also. I I probably also the reviews think around there make me think it's going to be worse. I mean, I never really thought this one looked that interesting. I mean, Kang is fine. The only reason I think it's going to be three out of five is because like the cast is great. I, yeah, I, I tweeted, Bill Murray, right? Yeah, I tweeted the other day that if you like just put Jonathan Majors in a time machine and put him in 1995 and you released this movie, it would have had, like, people would have been like, is this the greatest cast of all time? Because you have, like, Paul Rudd right off of Clueless. You got Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Bill Murray all in their, like, in their primes. Uh, and then, oh, I didn't realize Michael Douglas was... I just saw the game last night. Yeah. So. Dude, he's in the first two Ant-Mans. Dude, I don't remember. <laughs> I've only seen one and I don't remember anything. He plays, the, like, the OG Ant-Man. I don't. Yeah. I don't recall anything. Like from he the used first to be Ant-Man. the like he plays Hank Pym, the guy who invented Ant Man. He's de-aged in Endgame when he, they go back in time to the Shield compound. Oh. You don't remember that? Well, I remember like RDJ says like sees his dad or something, right? Yeah, but they go there to get the Pym particles. Dude, I don't remember a lot of the plot details <laughs> from those movies. I've only seen them once. I'm and, the Marvel nerd now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, you've. Pro- I, I don't know. I've only every Marvel movie I've only seen once. And I, I always saw it in theater, so I wasn't really paying that much attention to, like... I haven't seen Eternals. That's the only one I haven't seen. But I've watched Endgame a bunch of times, because I think it's the best Well, one. actually, I did see that movie twice, but the second time I saw it, I left, like... with I didn't leave. I went to the bathroom with, like, 45 minutes left, because it was the 2019 uh, NBA playoffs, and the Rockets were playing the Warriors, and I wanted to watch the end of that game. And I was like, I'd already seen this movie. How did that go? Well, we won. It was, <laughs> but then we lost Game Six. But I think oh, okay. it was Game Five in Houston. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, no, 2019 you lost games. You tied it 2-2, and then you lost 5-6. and six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess it was game four then. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bigger Rockets fan than you are. It's okay. <laughs> um, no, nah, I just watched that series because I like Chris Paul. Um, you want to finish up with my Shyamalan rankings, and then we'll dip? Sure. All right. Vill- Actually, I do want to talk about the game real quick. Okay. Dude, that movie's fucking dope. I don't really know what else to say about that. I'm surprised you didn't give it four and a half because you were, like, texting me. Like, you were like, this is... You didn't say it, but the way you were texting about it sounded like you thought it was, like, the greatest movie of all time. I, I don't know. I think... <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought it it was kind of... I don't want... I don't want to say campy, but I don't know. It yeah, me it is campy. That's rem- why it's great. It reminded me a lot of Shutter Island as well, where it's like this whole like elaborate illusion. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I If I think about it more, because I really just thought about like the superficial plot aspects more than like the themes that it explores, which I'm sure there are like very deep themes. Now that you say that, the game really, is, Shutter Island really is just the game, but with the opposite outcome. Yeah. It's the exact same, but if the other, if the reverse was true. I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about it as I woke up this morning because I watched it late last night. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there are definitely takes on the game, or it's like he dies, like it actually wasn't all like a game. It's and then, all like, a dream. He, yeah, and no, no, it's not that it's a dream. But when he jumps off the uh, spoilers for the game, when he jumps off at the building at the end and and like goes through the glass, like I'm sure there are takes where it's like, oh, he's in heaven at the very end. Right. Like, I don't think I don't think that's probably what Fincher wanted. No, I don't think so. But I also think that's a reasonable take. I think the awkwardness of the last scene makes me think it's not heaven. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a weird like awkward like darkness to the last scene where it's like, "Oh, we all love you." And then like No, the I thought it was very funny very where depressing. it's like he's uh at one sense like going deranged and he's like killed his brother. And then, like, two seconds later, he's, like, thanking people for coming to his birthday party. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Shyamalan rankings. Let's go. Yeah, we'll end here. 13, The Last Airbender. 12, yeah. Lady in the Water. 11, After Earth. 10, The Happening. 9, Six Sense. Hot take, I know. 8, Old. 7, Split. 6, Unbreakable. 5, Signs. 4, Glass. Which, people hate that movie, but I love it. 3, The Visit. Two, Knock at the Cabin, one, The Village. Okay. Knock at the Cabin is up there. It's up there. I don't know. I think this movie's still in theaters. I don't know why you're still listening to this point if you haven't seen it, but my girlfriend is a huge uh, Avatar fan, and she hates M. Night Shyamalan. Or she didn't hate, but she, like, before she saw this movie, she just knew how bad Avatar was, and, she, like, she, like, perceived him as just this guy who ruined Avatar, and she still loved the the Knock at the Cabin, so... Yeah. Go see it if you haven't for some reason. All right. That'll do it for us this week. Next week we'll be back with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, our official discussion, <laughs> maybe some other stuff too. Get excited. Get excited. It's happening. Uh, this podcast is hosted by Noah Trainer and Max White, produced by Noah Trainer. intro music by Bryson Carroll, logo by Stephen Pastis, created by Michael Sauls. Mm-hmm.